Well, Jesus, I want to thank you for your amazing and beautiful family. God, I want to thank you because you speak to the things that are not as though they are. I want to ask, Lord, that as I bring this word today, that it would be more than uh, just a story for us, that it would be more than just another lesson or a principle. But Lord, I want to ask that it would be life and that you would infuse these words, God. We're going to remember the history of what you've done with man, but Lord, we know that you've somehow made this word living and active. And that's what we need right now, Lord. We need to be living and active. We need a power that's greater than ourselves. We need a living God who delivers on his promises and who is with us. And so, Lord, today I ask that we would encounter you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to share a story with you today, and I think you guys are probably familiar with it. And, uh, and as I go through it, I'm going to stop and I'm going to make a few points. But essentially, we're going to read through Judges 6 and 7, and, uh, and we're going to talk about it. And uh, I, I really, really like this story. I don't think it gets old, but uh, let's jump right in. <laughs> Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land, and they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. And they didn't spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys, they came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. And Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Speaking of uh, being impoverished, if uh, you're in a situation right now where you need some free bread or goodies or what have you, all that food out front right here on the table is, uh, I think we got it from Gleaners, is that correct? And it's free, so please take, and if you know of a family that needs it, please take it and give it to them, but there's a bunch of food out here on this table, so if you have the Midianites in your backyard right now, well, the Lord has already delivered you some goodies. The Israelites, I, I hate how this starts. It starts out, and so the Israelites did what was evil in, this, in the sight of the Lord. This is a terrible beginning of a story, isn't it? And it, and it follows, uh, actually, the last judge that they talked about was Deborah. Come on, Deborah, ladies. Woo! And she delivered, uh, she delivered Israel, and they had peace for 40 years. For 40 years they had peace after Deborah and Barak led Israel away from the enemies then. And then after 40 years, Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so they come to God and they say to him, Lord, we have a problem. We're impoverished. The Midianites keep coming and they're taking everything. And they cry out to the Lord. And when the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. Now, I love this. 
First of all, the people notice they have a problem. They cry out to the Lord. The Lord immediately answers them once they've decided to cry out. But he starts by sharing with them reality. He starts, he's so good. He starts with Israel and he says, listen, I'm going to help you. But before I do that, I want to remind you how it is that we got into this situation in the first place. I delivered you from Egypt. I delivered you from your former situation, from your former oppression, from your former impoverishment. And I put you into a land of promise according to everything that I told you, the way that things work. I laid it out just like that. But I told you, don't adopt the culture around you. Don't adopt the values of the people around you. Don't adopt the gods of the people in whose land you're going to settle. How many of you guys know that the gods of our life create the culture that we live in? And so he says to Israel, when you go into this promised land that I've set apart for you, do not worship their gods. Don't create their economic systems. Don't embrace their philosophies. Don't, break their, don't embrace their, uh, their picture of, of, of gender, don't picture, their, their picture of value for life, their picture of value for children, their picture of value for slaves or not slaves. You know, all these things. He's saying every aspect of the culture, I don't want you embracing that. I want you to worship me only. But you guys didn't do that. You went ahead and worshiped the culture. You worshiped those gods. You embraced the culture. Amen? So he starts when they cry out to them by telling them, here's where you went wrong. I'm going to deliver you, but it'll be a huge waste if you don't realize how you got where you are right now. Are you guys tracking? All right, let's keep going then. So then the angel of the Lord came, this is verse 11, and he sat down under the oaks in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our forefathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Now, there's a lot of beautiful parts of this story, and I don't have time to go into all of them. But the thing that I feel that the Lord is highlighting this particular go-around is that Gideon was already engaged in meeting the needs of his nation. Gideon took the strength that he had and he was applying it towards dealing with the issue that was at hand. And what was the issue at hand? They were starving to death. They had to live in caves and clefts of the rocks. And every time that they would plant, their enemies would show up and destroy everything. Now, the reason why they were being given into the hands of the enemy, we just covered because they had turned from God. But Gideon is trying to solve the problem. He's doing what he can with what he has. And God looks at Gideon, and he says, this man's doing what he can with what he has. And so he starts with Gideon. And he says, Gideon, go in the strength that you have. And he says, Lord, 
You want me to go destroy the Midianites? He says, listen, these, you've seen what's been going on in the last seven years, Lord. It doesn't seem like you're with us. And God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. But I think this is a key thing. This is where I want to start. We're going to walk through a few different steps, but I want, to, I want to really put this into our hearts. As we're preparing to pray for our area, for our region, you know, as Jason spoke of last week, as we're beginning to pray and say, God, we believe your scripture that says, if my people who are called by my name will turn from their wicked ways and humble themselves and pray, I will hear them from heaven and I will heal their land. So we have this picture here where they're turning from their wicked ways and they're, they're saying, God, we're being overrun by these, these, these other gods that we chose. They're horrible and we're totally impoverished. And so we turn. And then God comes and he turns to Gideon. He says, Gideon, I want you to go in the strength that you have. Now I believe, yes, there's a prophetic strength that God was going to give him to be able to do this, and, and that's wonderful. But here's the thing I want us to begin with on this. Each one of us has already engaged. We've already said yes to the Lord. We've already begun to work. We've already begun to co-labor with him. And the trick, <laughs> the trick, I think that's just it. I'm a silver bullet kind of guy. How many of you guys just want the, the silver bullet? Just give me the answer and let me learn it and then I'll know it and then I can graduate from this stupid level, right? And move on and get to the good stuff, right? Okay, that's how I roll. I'm always looking for it. I'm like, give me the silver bullet. You know, give me, what is it, Lord? What's the principle you want me to learn here? And he is not cooperating with me at all uh, because he says, what is the principle you want me to learn here, Lord? The principle is I'm with you. I'm with you. Go in the strength that you have because I'm with you. But Lord, what must I learn in order to be strong that I'm with you? Well, I know, I know, I know. But what's the principle of this season that you want me to get so that I can be strong and not have to get into this situation again? That I'm with you. No. What is the ingredients of the philosophy? You guys see where I'm going here. All right, so the point is, he goes, look, the lesson is not that you need to learn a certain thing and embrace a certain uh, uh, religion. I, I'm not asking, I mean, obviously the religion of Jesus Christ, but it's like you don't have to learn these special rules of the religion and embrace this certain way of thinking and get just enough uh, technique down where then suddenly I'm going to release blessing on you. That's not it. What I'm saying is your strength plus my strength is enough. Your strength by yourself will never be enough. You can't learn enough, Joshua, in order that suddenly now your strength will be enough without me. Go in the strength that you currently have. But Lord, how will I know that you're with me? Because I'll be with you. How do I know that will work? Because I will be with you. So when we're turning to the Lord, when we're walking forward, because we're about to walk through some impossible situations right here, and I think everyone here right now, honestly, I don't think there's anybody in this house right now that isn't facing some kind of an impossible situation. I mean, God has actually called us, let's just start with the number one impossible situation, is that he said, all authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations teaching them to do everything that I've commanded you. Oh, well, that's perfectly easy, Lord. I'll be back in a minute. 
That, are you kidding me? I mean, they're going to laugh at us. <laughs> he goes, oh, but I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And so I want to start with that. Go in the strength that you have. Are you guys with me? Because he's with you. So the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. And Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Please don't go away until I come back and bring my offering and I set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. And Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot. And he brought them out and he offered that to him under the oak. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. And with the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire flared up from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. And when Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, ah, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. And so Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, and he called it, the Lord is peace. And to this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. I love this piece. Poor Gideon, I think he gets beat up all the time, you know, or like, Gideon, God appeared to you, you should know things and hold on to it, and rah, rah, rah. But, and, that, and then maybe that's true, like maybe there are just, maybe those people have more courage than I do. But I love the fact that God just keeps talking to Gideon. He just keeps walking it through, because he starts by saying, Gideon, go in the strength that you have, because that's going to be enough, because I'm going to be with you. And he goes, okay, well, Lord, start with this. Can you give me a sign that you're actually going to be with me? And he says, yeah, no problem. And he goes, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go make you dinner. So he makes him dinner. And he puts it on a rock and he burns it up in fire. And Gideon's like, ah, now I'm going to die. And he goes, Gideon, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. I'm with you, remember? Oh, good. Okay, good. You know, for me, this is like manna from heaven. You know, how many of you are like currently trying to go after the promises of God, right? You take four steps. You're like, I'm going to go bankrupt. He's like, you're not going to go bankrupt. Well, I need a sign as in give me money. And so right at that point, he gives you just enough to take another step. Amen. And he's not like, Gideon, I told you. No, he goes, go in the strength that you have because I'm going to be with you. But continue to move towards the promise. Continue to call out to me. Continue to make your request to me on behalf of the promises that I've given you. See, the difference is not this. It's not that we go and don't have fears. It's not that we move forward and don't have struggles or, or, or aren't acutely aware of our shortcomings. Come on, right? That's not what it is. It's that we continue towards the promise knowing that he's with us. Well, that same night, verse 25, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that's seven years old, and tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it, and then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. 
using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. This is huge. This, this is just filled with goodness. You see, Gideon is getting ready to obey the Lord. The Lord is getting ready to deliver the Israelites from the hands of their enemies. But if you remember, the reason why the Israelites are in this place is because they've turned away from God. They've turned away from his philosophy. They've turned away from his way of doing things, his economics, his culture. And they've embraced another one. And so as Gideon is preparing now to take the first step, God says, start in your own house. Start in your own house. I want you to tear down your father's altar. What does that mean? I want you to start in your own home, and I want you to begin with the very things that you've even learned in your own home. I'm telling you, I want you to tear down those cultural mindsets, that way that you think, the framework through which you see things, the seat of power and authority, the philosophies even of your own father, tear those down. And then I want you to bring, I want you to build a proper altar, an altar unto me. I want you to create a lifestyle of worship that matches my heart. And I want you to take the other gods in your life and I want you to burn them on that altar. You begin with me. You start in your own father's house. You start in the seat of wisdom and philosophy in the places where even your own father has led you away from me. In those places, tear those altars down. Tear down that way of thinking. Jesus later says it a different way. Unless you become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so he starts in his own house and he tears down the gods of that culture and he destroys it. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and he did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family <laughs> and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. And it was for good reason that he was scared because look what happens. In the morning when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. And they asked each other, who did this? And when they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. And the men of the town demanded of Joash, you bring out your son, he must die, because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. And I love this dad, because you know what? You can see that right away the dad was like, you know what? And I'm proud of my boy, because look what he does here. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Speaking of Baal. Whoever fights for him will be put to death by morning. I love it. He's like, you want to mess with my boy? You know, I mean, I just love this. Instant, instant shift. If Baal really is a god, then he can defend himself when somebody breaks down his altar. And so that day they called Gideon, Jerob Baal, saying, let Baal contend with him because he broke down Baal's altar. That's just beautiful. That's, just, that's revival. Revival just happened in Joash's house because Gideon said yes to the Lord. And Gideon went. He was scared, but he still went forward. He was scared. He took some friends with him, took his servants with him, but he did what the Lord asked him to do, even though he was scared. Why? Because God said, go in the strength you do have. Go in with what you do have. Get started. And so he did. 
And God was with him. And what happens? His dad turns to the Lord because he says what? Let Baal contend with him then. That's a pretty big deal. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people joined forces and they crossed over the Jordan and they camped in the valley of Jezreel. And then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet, summoning the, Ab- the, the <laughs> summoning the Abizrites to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali, so that they all, so that they all went up to meet him. And Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hands, as you promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. And if there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. So Gideon rose early early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. And then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me, but let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. And that night, God did so. And only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Now, I know that we've heard a lot of poor Gideon. He's really gotten kicked around a lot. But I want you to catch something. We're all Gideon. We're not a bunch of wussies because you notice that Gideon keeps moving forward. It's just that we need assurances. And you know what? Dad is a good dad, and he has no problem giving us assurances, because he says, look, I'm with you. And sometimes when you're going down a road you've never been down, you need some road signs. I'm not saying you should lay fleeces for everything. Then you've just turned God into a paradise. If you're going to do that, just be honest and roll dice. Just be like, just bust out the um um and the thumb um. But, but I am saying, you're in a relationship with God, and he is okay in encouraging you as you take steps towards him. Does that make sense? See, it's a relationship. You notice that he wasn't saying, he, it doesn't end here. I feel like I'm taking away from my point. Are you guys tracking with me here? I, I'm not saying we should go seek signs for everything. All right, that's not what I'm saying. That's not actually a relationship. But in this ongoing conversation, when you're facing something that's bigger than you, Seek the Lord and say, Lord, can you confirm this to me? I need to be assured. I need you to remind me. Give me peace. And God meets him right where he is. I would say that for us, how about this? If we're laying a fleece, um, anytime that your life is going to be in danger because you're about to go attack an army that outnumbers you by thousands, it's totally okay to lay a fleece. <laughs> totally okay. But remember, the key to this relationship, he's with us, and he communicates with us. All right, so he lays a fleece. So early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley, near the heel of Morah. And the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into your hands. I love this. (laughs) In order that Israel may not boast against me that their own strength has saved her. Because how come they got into this trouble in the first place? We don't need God. We got the promised land. We got this thing. I don't need to communicate with God. I know the principles of God. I don't need to relate with him. I'm a good person and I'm living a good life. So he says, we don't want to go back to that nonsense. 
So he says, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. Now, you got to love this because Gideon was trembling with fear. But at any rate, 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. Can you imagine? Extraordinary. So then the Lord says to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I'll sift them for you. (laughs) And if I say this one will go with you, he'll go. But if I say this one will not go with you, he will not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. And then the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. And 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths, and all the rest got down on their hands and knees to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. And so Gideon sent the rest of his Israelites to their tents, but he kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. And during that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up and go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. And if you're afraid to attack, I love this. I love, I love how he's just encouraging Gideon. Oh, and Gideon, you know, I mean, I'm sure you're not, but if you are afraid to attack... He's just so sweet. He's so gentle. And he says this, If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they're saying. And afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. Now, I really believe that Pura here is an important character in this story. I didn't get to do a word search on his name. That'd be kind of interesting and fun. But here's the deal. It's really important as we continue to move forward with the promises that God's given us as we engage as a regional church with with all the other parts of the regional church to pray and to seek God and to move forward. You take somebody with you. See, God gives us a witness. He gives us someone in our life, many someones, but he gives you someone that encourages you, someone else who hears the word of the Lord and reminds you in the midst of it. Don't you love that? He, he says, take somebody with you. When Jesus sent the disciples out, did he send them out by themselves? No, he sent them out in twos. So we see this beautiful picture. If you don't have somebody in your life that knows the promises in your life and knows what we're up to together as a tribe to see his kingdom come and his will be done, you've got to have that person because they need to be with you so you can get encouragement and they can remind you, yeah, but remember what we saw? Remember what we heard? Remember what we're doing? And you go, oh, that's right. I do remember so Pura, and he went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the other eastern people had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. And Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend about his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp, and it struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. And his friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, (laughs) the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Now, I don't know. I'm not awesome at dreams, but this makes no sense whatsoever. (laughs) I think think that Gideon was actually good at dreams, and he was like, that's a miracle, because that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. A barley roll came down and hit a tent, And this guy's like, that could be nothing other than Gideon. I think, anyway, that's just my take on it. But I think it's hilarious. 
So when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and he called out, Get up! The Lord's given the Midianite camp into your hands. I wonder if he explained it to him. I think at that point I wouldn't. Um, (laughs) Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. And when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle of the watch. And just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. And they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon, while each man held his position around the camp. And all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. And when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. Now here's what's amazing, right? Is that these guys go into battle, 300 of them, and they have a torch in one hand and a a trumpet in the other hand, and they're shouting, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. They don't even have swords. (laughs) It's just kind of an ironic and amazing thing, you know, just running in just like, but he's with us because a barley loaf hit a tent. (laughs) When the the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords, and the army fled to Beth Shittah toward Zerah, which is where we get, never mind, as far as the border of Abel uh, Meholah near, I should have read this before I read it to you, Abel Meholah near Tabith. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. And Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Bethbarah. And so all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they took the waters of the Jordan as far as Bethbarah. And they also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb, and they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. And they pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon who was by the Jordan. What an extraordinary story of someone just like us who had begun to obey the Lord just to simply provide for our families when God shows up and says, listen, in answer to prayer, I'm calling you the smallest person of the least tribe of all of Israel. Because what I want to do is I want to show you and the world that your strength is enough as long as I'm with you. That I'm not looking for you to become self-sufficient. You see, this to me is the key piece that I feel like I just need to talk about me right now. I hope this is for you, but I know this is for me. I have spent my entire life life as far as I can remember back. I don't know. I was probably pretty free and, and having a really good time till five or something. So that was a sweet, sweet time. But then I began my self-improvement journey of trying to figure out how to be perfect so that I could finally be, and I didn't realize I was doing this, but finally be independent of God. I was doing it for him, but I thought I was supposed to do it for him so that I could do it without him. So that he'd quit having to work so hard on all of this. 
Does anybody identify with this? So, all, so, so my whole relationship with him is like, I just need to figure out the rules so that I can live by them, so that I can be safe and righteous and good, and he won't be mad at me. And he's like, who told you this? First of all, who told you that I'm mad at you? Secondly, <laughs> I know what's in you. I made you. I know that you're weak. I didn't ask you to go in the strength that you don't have. I asked you to go in the strength that you have. And the reason why it will work is because I will be with you. And Joshua, I'm not asking you to reach a point where you graduate from where you need me to be with you. That's not even the plan. I want to be with you, and I want you to be with me. Jesus' whole ministry was, I'm with my Father, and my Father's with me. And then he says, Lord, I want them to be with me and with you, like how you're with me and I'm with you. That's what I want for them, that we would be together with each other. And I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, please make me righteous and holy so that I don't have to keep asking you for help. <laughs> Who told me this? Where did we learn this? Like God's just standing back and he's like, you need to prove to me that you're finally strong so that I can like you. Where is this coming from? I think we know where this is coming from. And so I wanted to tell this story from the side of seeing a man who is just like every man and woman in this room, who is simply saying, Lord, I've heard about you. I've heard the promises that you've given, and I'm doing what I can. But there's a whole bunch of stuff that's not working right now. There's a whole bunch of enemies that are coming in, and they're eating up my joy, and they're eating up my, my, my stuff. Some of my family's getting wiped out. Relationships are failing. Communication is broken. Some, some people I love are addicted. Some people I love are missing. And I don't know what to do. And he comes and he says, listen, I'm going to be with you. And I want you to tell me what you need. What do you need? Because I have a promise for you that I, in Christ Jesus, and reconciling all people back to myself. I have the ushers come and pass out the, uh, the uh, elements for communion. I am reconciling all people to myself in Christ Jesus. And Jesus came and said, behold, I am making all things new. And every single one of us right now, you know, we prayed about Thanksgiving. And it's like you're sitting around the table and, and, and you're rejoicing for those that are there but you're also weeping for those that aren't, you know? You, you have the beauty of what's working and you have the pain of what's not working. And so what do we do in that moment? Because we have very real promises and then we have very real problems. And so you can't ignore the problems. You can't, well, that's not a big deal. It's not, that's not really happening. That's denial. But you also can't allow that to become bigger than the promise of God. And so what do we do? We go in the strength that we have and we remind God of the promises and we remind him of what we need. And so then we're not overwhelmed because he makes up the difference. Is this making sense to you guys? And I, and I think that 
at least for me, and, and I probably came up with this amazing equation at seven years old or something, who knows, but I honestly believed that if I could just get my act together, that everything around me would start to work. And I somehow thought, if I can just live a perfect life, if I can just learn all the rules and, 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 and be the first truly obedient person on this earth, I guess, aside from Jesus, of course, then the things around me will begin to shift because of my good conduct, because of my good belief, because of my good faith, because of my good confession. And so it ends up then, and that point, doesn't it? It ends up completely on us. Are you guys with me? And God's answer to that is, no, no. I'm not asking you to go in the things that you're not good at, the stuff that you have yet to figure out. I'm asking you to go in the strength that you have. I'm asking for you to simply begin to give me what you have right now and let me make up the difference. I will be with you. And when that thing changes, when the breakthrough happens, it won't be, Joshua, because you did everything right. It will be because I, the Lord, did everything right and I was with you. I feel like I'm not quite landing this. How many of us are waiting for our behavior and our actions to be good enough that God will answer prayer? Yeah, and it's completely wrong. He's not answering our prayer because we're good enough. He's answering our prayers because he's good enough. And so it's what you have right now. That's why he says as long as it's today, don't harden your heart, meaning as long as it's today, believe that I'm actually this good. There are some things that are not going to be reconciled until Restoration Day. Jason preached a phenomenal message on Restoration Day. It's on the podcast. It's called Restoration Day. <laughs> there will not be a full closure on some of these things until Restoration Day, but there will be a Restoration Day. I believe what God wants to release today is simply this, hope. He wants to release hope. He wants you to stop measuring yourself and trying to decide whether you are or aren't blessable based on your behavior, based on the strength that you have, and he wants you to say, listen, the reason why anything works is because I'm with you, and if you need something, I want you to ask me, and then I want you to just walk towards the promise. And I will keep teaching you. And I will keep encouraging you. You need a wet fleece? I'll give you a wet fleece. You need a dry fleece? How about a dry fleece? You need some encouragement? How about a barley loaf that hits a tent and a guy that, you know what I mean? Like, you, wanna, you, you need to know that I'm with you? I'm going to send you into a sword fight with a torch and a trumpet. You're outnumbered and outgunned. What's he saying? I'm with you. When you pray, it's not how beautiful and perfect your prayer is. It's the one that you're praying to. Go in the strength that you have. 